0: You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church, Madrid, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. I apologize for my unprofessionalism, guys. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll try to do better. OK, but greetings from our pastors. They are ministering elsewhere this morning. Um, and I think if we were to plot behind their backs, I would say that the best thing to do is that when they come back and they should just hear testimonies of how we've been living out the messages that are preached. I think that's the greatest gift we can ever give the pastors. Eh? Yeah. It's not actually financial, it's not actually this, it's actually just living out the word. Can you imagine if you were day in, day out, talking to your children to behave a particular way and your children never do it? That doesn't exactly bring joy to your heart, does it? You know, Although my child is only three months, two months, so he's incapable of disobedience at this stage, I suppose. <laughs> so I'm not speaking experientially then. Okay, cool. Yeah, Father, we just um, thank you for this time to look into your Word, to further align with your will, oh God, and to live it out, to work it out, oh God. We invite you this morning and say we don't want to just be taught by what I'm saying, Father, but we want to taught by holy. We want to be taught by your Holy Spirit. So we say, Holy Spirit, we invite you as our ultimate teacher. We say, direct these words, you know, set them on fire and cause them to be impactful in the hearts of your children. This morning, we pray in the name of Jesus and say we invite you as our honored guest, that you might do a work of anointing, you might do a work of transformation, that you might do a work of speaking. Our hearts are a good ground this morning. We are ready and receptive to your word, O God, and we declare, O Father, that our hearts would indeed bring forth fruit in the name of Jesus, that there is no hard rock, O God, that there are no thorns this morning, but it's good ground, that there'll be fruit upon fruit simply from the word that is preached in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Man, OK, we're going to get straight into it without wasting a lot of time. So we're going to be in the book of Second Kings um, chapter two, and I'm going to read from verse one. OK. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, "Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel." But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they Came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from you from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as my soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, and fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood at the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and was divided this way and that way, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, What may I do for you before I am taken away? Elisha said, Please let the double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked the hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken away from you, when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And and Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Okay. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where and when he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that way as it happened, you know, with Elijah previously. So now this is a very interesting story, seemingly very repetitive in nature in terms of the happenings of what's going on. But when you start to look at the journey which happened here, it's very suspect because they went from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and then to the Jordan. Now, if your Bible has a map, if you don't, uh, yours doesn't, then start investing in study Bibles. They have maps. But yeah, if your Bible has a map, it's very curious because this would be the Jordan, and Gilgal will be here, right? And Jericho would be here. And Bethel will be somewhere here. Then Jordan is here. So if the purpose was to get to the Jordan, this was not the most efficient route because they could have just gone literally across. Remember when Joshua crossed over the Jordan? Where did he end up? Gilgal. Because it's the first place you experience when you cross over the Jordan. Okay? So it's one of those that you have to wonder and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach us about this particular journey through this? And essentially, when I was thinking about it, I realized that all these places are very significant. And they are places... um, Brighton, I might need your your help. Uh, The mic is... okay 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 so when you look at these places all of them are very significant none of them are by accident so what i want to do today is look at each of these places and see how do they help us in walking out the will of God? And I believe that these are four key places you need to experience in order to fully walk out the will of God. Remember, when Elijah, Elisha gets to the end of this, and he says, I want a double portion of your spirit. The Lord had already spoken about this in 1 Kings already, and said, actually, Elijah, I am already replacing you. I have found you a replacement, and that guy is Elisha. Whether he had told Elisha or not that the Lord has already said, you are my successor, it's inconsequential. The point is, if at any point he had said, well, you are saying I should stay at Gilgal, and he had stayed, he would not have walked in this. If he had stayed at Jericho, he would not have walked in this. If he had stayed at Bethel, he would not have become the next Elijah. Makes sense. So he had to actually go through. Now, when you actually read 1 Kings, you will realize that um, you know, this guy, Elijah, actually had an assistant that he was traveling with. And his assistant actually stayed behind. He left him. He said exactly the same, the same thing to his assistant and said, stay behind, I'm going further. And the assistant stayed behind. Is it interesting that maybe the Lord might have anointed that assistant in the place of Elisha. But because he stayed behind, he was not able to enter into the will of god do you get what i'm saying now when we think about gilgal and what is gilgal what does it represent where does it come from we see it that it was named in joshua chapter 5 right verse 6 and 7. Uh, Maybe let's put it up quickly. But essentially what happened there is that the Israelites are now, you know, the old Israelites that came out of Egypt have been, are dead, right? And it's the new generation. And this generation is not yet circumcised. And what happens there is that the Lord decides these guys need to be circumcised at this point point. Um, and it says they walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of egypt were consumed and they did not obey the voice of the lord to whom um, the lord saw that he would not show them the land which the lord has sown to their fathers um, to their fathers that he would give and land flowing with milk and honey okay Let's jump to yeah okay. Uh, then Joshua circumcised their sons, and he raised up in their place for the that he raised up in their place for they was uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Okay, verse eight. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their place in the camp until they were healed. Makes sense. Uh, verse nine. Uh, then the Lord said to Joshua, this day. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place is called what? Gilgal. Okay, so this is an important thing we have to deal with. Reproach, shame, guilt. Now, there are, this comes in three forms primarily. There's, the reality is none of us are actually born Christians. We are born again Christians, but we are not born Christians. We don't come out of our mother's wombs Christian. But we actually at some point make a decision and say, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. But when we are still living our lives before we come to Jesus, we do some crazy stuff. You know, We do some stuff, we make some decisions that we regret later on. And some of those regrets actually continue with us into the faith. Do you get what I'm saying? Because the reality is, even if you do things and you're not Christian and we understand, you don't know the Lord, you will behave a particular way, the consequences don't disappear. If you had a child out of wedlock, that child does not disappear the moment you say yes lord meaning that there are consequences of the actions that you did before christ that might still haunt you today and they cause a level of reproach they cause a level of shame now this is the reproach of egypt the place of slavery that every time i reflect back on egypt i keep thinking am i even worthy can i actually be somebody who serves the lord as ruzani does can i actually sing up here like Dumi does why because of the reproach of Egypt. So we need to deal with every level of shame that is from the before Christ days. We need not have shame. We need to believe on the cross so much that the power of the cross is bigger than any experience we've ever had, that indeed the blood of Jesus wipes away every single sin, but not just the sin, it wipes away the shame. It wipes away the guilt. Therefore, there is no longer reproach for us who are in Christ Jesus. There is none at all. So it means that the moment we come to Jesus, irrespective of what we've done, we are able to serve the lord as fully as we want why because the work of the cross is actually complete makes sense okay so we need to deal with that we need to deal with that but before sometimes we haven't even made the decision right and we need to make the decision to get rid of the sin nature to say lord i want to surrender my life to you that's the first step i want to surrender my life i want to give myself away to you i know i am dead i don't want to wake up and live but i want you to live through me right that is the christian gospel it's that you are dead in trespasses and the lord gives life and it's a brand new life and that's the life we ought to be living okay don't live the old life don't take shame as a prisoner of your salvation you know don't come into the faith and say actually i need to bring some of the shame of what i did you know because that will keep me humble right through my journey that is false humility true humility is when you recognize what the lord did and you walk in that truth realizing that it's not you but it's actually the lord himself that's the reproach of egypt that we need to deal with the other thing as well on the other hand is that we might have done things before christ and that in that we might be able to justify it and say look i didn't know jesus i didn't know any better so i did what i had to do you know lack of better words but there are also things we do while well in christ i know we look all holy we look like we never make mistakes you know but there are some things that we do while we are in Christ. And those are things which also plague us. They actually bring reproach, they actually bring shame, they bring guilt, and they make us then feel inferior. And when we read the gospel, and this is how I know uh, that I'm in a position where I'm not in my right Victoria state. When I read the gospels, I am unable to connect with the person of Jesus as this is how I should be, but I connect more with the woman with the issue of blood. Do you get what I mean? I connect more with the victims of Satan, the victims of circumstance, the victims of, etc., etc, more than I connect with Jesus Christ, as this is who I should be. Because when we're reading the Gospels, we should be seeing how we ought to be living. We shouldn't be seeing how we ought to be delivered. Because we are delivered. we are in Christ. Our life should be different. We're not always trying to, get de- to, to always deal with the issue of blood. Even if we have an issue of blood, we know that the Lord is so faithful, we don't need to focus all our attention on the issue of blood because we are in Christ. We can focus on being Jesus for somebody else. That's a victorious mindset, and that's how we should actually be thinking. But the problem is that there are some things that we do while in Christ that cause us to still want to always be the woman with the issue of blood. It's not just the things we can't control. You know, we still do some questionable things. We do some questionable deals and those things plague our consciences. So in order to experience this Gilgal moment, we need to make a stand decision and say, Lord, I believe that the story of your gospel is much more important, much more valuable than the story of my circumstances. It is much more true. It is much more real. And therefore there is no shame. And therefore, there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's an important disclaimer there, right? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we need to make a decision and say, you know what? I've had my Gilgal experience. I want to walk in the freedom that Christ has made available. And therefore, I'm not going back. I'm not going to do Egypt while I'm in the promised land. Makes sense. So we need, that's the first thing. We need to deal with the reproach. And the shame and the guilt that we often walk with that we often still accommodate accommodated shame is the devil's playground i know we say the mind but i think accommodated shame is the most dangerous thing because you never rise up to the person you're supposed to be you never actually believe at the level you're supposed to you always limit yourself why because there's shame i don't deserve but you actually deserve not because of what you did but because of what jesus did So we need to deal with Gilgal. It is for freedom that we have been set free. It's not that we must be slaves again, but we must continue in freedom. Therefore, when you think about Gilgal, think about it as a place of your freedom, acquisition of freedom. Now, the second place that they went to is that they went where? I went to Bethel, okay? And remember, they are journeying together. Now you have your freedom, you are enjoying your freedom, and some people, their faith ends at the, it's almost like you experience the cross and you stay there. You are unable to walk beyond that point. But the cross is a place of freedom, but a place of release as well. Now Bethel is definitely linked to release. Why? Because Bethel is all about the presence of God. Bethel is where God is. It is the house of God. Now the church as we are could be Bethel. We're not necessarily Bethel. But if we gather in his name, as we do, he promises us that he will actually show up. When two or more gather in his name, where is he? He's in their midst. Therefore, the church, as we meet here in this building, becomes Bethel. The family unit could as well be a Bethel structure. It not necessarily is, but it's up to how do you live out that family structure. If the family structure is all about just romance, it's not Bethel. But if the family structure is more than that, to say that actually there is the Romans, etc., but also we are doing this in the name of the Lord. Then it's Bethel because the Lord shows up. But even you as an individual, because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you are Bethel because you are carrying the very presence of God. But one of the things about Bethel that we need to learn is that it is not only happening in religious settings. Some of us, when we are in church, we have the most phenomenal you know, spiritual experiences, experiences that we hardly ever have anywhere else, okay? We hear God, you know, God spoke to me and he said this and that, and we hear all of that, but we go to work dololo, huh? It's like God decided I'm not gonna show up to work, this nine to five thing is not for me, you know? You go do your thing, when you come back, you know, we will link up again. But you know, that's not true. That's not how life ought to be. We have to learn from the presence of God to take the presence of God everywhere. In Proverbs, we learn that wisdom cries out from the streets, from the marketplaces. Wisdom wasn't crying out from the synagogue. Meaning that wisdom is sitting there in your marketplace, in your workplace, crying out, saying, I want to be involved in your life. I, I, I want to actually help you to do something that you can't do in your own strength right there in your workplace, okay? That's wisdom. And if, even if you reflect on the life of Jesus, what was the curses that were held at Jesus? That is a friend of sinners. It wasn't that he's too regular at the synagogue. <laughs> that wasn't the issue. It was the company that he keeps. But you know when he showed up in a chief sinner's house, Zacchaeus, the presence of the Lord showed up. It showed up to the extent that this short man decided, I'm giving away half of everything. But why can't that be the case today? Why? Because we've compartmentalized the presence of God and we've decided it belongs in religious circles. And that is why we don't live out authentic Christian lives. When we speak to somebody who is unrighteous, we often even give them unrighteous advice. Why? Because we don't believe the presence of God is there. In some cases, we are even advising some of our friends how to manage their many girlfriends. (laughs) It sounds far-fetched, but it's absolutely true. That's what we do. We are unrighteous with the unrighteous. We are righteous when a righteous person shows up. And even in that, if a righteous person shows up in the midst of our unrighteous friends, we are even a bit uncomfortable, you know? Because you might mention Jesus and expose me now, you know? <laughs> huh? But that is a false Bethel experience, friends. A real Bethel experience impacts everything. We take it into our workplaces. You know, Jacob didn't just have the Bethel experience and say, I'm going to continue cheating and scheming everything. He started changing. He started changing. you know. He was now part of the journey of him becoming Israel. He saw God, right? And God kept referring to say, I'm the guy you met at Bethel. Mm. Because Bethel was a place of transformation that changed his character, his nature, his everything. And he was able now to carry the presence going forward. And the Lord could change his name and say, you're no longer Jacob, you're Israel. So we need a Bethel experience. We don't want to just be free, but we want to be free and carry the presence of God into every sphere of influence that we actually find ourselves in and that is how we're going to walk out the you're going to walk this thing out because just imagine Christianity is like i don't know when i look at the requirements of everything we are supposed to do even when i look at the cv of paul i was reading the cv of paul and i couldn't believe just how how much of a better speaker I am than this guy. You know? He's definitely a better writer, but I, I have more confidence than he does, it seems, because his CV talks about trembling. You know? It talks about shaking knees. It talks about how you guys say I'm bold in my letters, but when I'm there, I'm just a timid guy. You know? That's what he talks about because that's how he was. You know, he talks about how I'm not a great speaker. That's what he says, and you say it. But yet, he's had so much of an impact on our lives. Why? It's because of the presence of God. That's what makes us distinct. That's what makes us different. That's what actually changes us. It's not going to be our intelligence, our intellect. It's none of that. It's simply the presence of God. Even when you share the gospel with someone, the person does not get saved because that day your gospel sharing is just on another level. They actually get saved because the Lord showed up. There are times where we share the gospel, and I reflect on this gospel message, I'm like, whoa, if I was hearing that, I would get saved, you know? So I think you must get saved, because this is some good gospel, and the person doesn't get saved. Nothing. Why? Because the Lord didn't convict this person. It's the Lord himself who shows up, and that's what makes a difference. Amen. Now, the next place they went to, from Bethel, where was that? It was Jericho. Okay. Okay. Jericho, of course, we know it. We have so many songs about Jericho. You know, Zawa, Izimbondo, Z Jericho, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Donga. Yeah. I thought it's Izimbondo. Ah, <laughs> uh, guys. Okay. No, in my language, Mbondo is more the wall. Yeah. Okay, so I was lost in translation. This is why I struggle with that Bodla song. You know, I struggle with it. Because Bodla in my language is to burp. So I must say Jesus burp. You know, Jesus beb." You know, you guys, hey, you, know, you must check the 11 languages. <laughs> yeah. But Jericho is a very interesting place, right? Now, this is the first victory that Israel experienced after Egypt, after the wilderness, isn't it? This was now them taking conquest of the land. Um, you know, taking conquest of the promised land. And when you start to reflect on that and you look at it and say, hang on, did Israel actually win this war? The answer is absolutely no. Israel did not defeat Jericho. It was actually the Lord. Because as they were about to go in, there was a man of war standing there. And Joshua asked and said, are you for us or who are you and what's your position? He said, no, 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 no. I, uh, I'm taking over the whole thing. Uh, I'm not here to be for you. I'm taking over. It's my fight. Wow. Yeah. And you look at how they actually fought. They, they went there and they found the door closed. The windows closed. Typically, what we would assume is the access points. Closed. So this city was inaccessible and remember walls were very important in those ancient days this city had a good wall they would have thought and said actually if we come with the spade you know and we start in this corner that corner then maybe after two years the wall will fall down or actually maybe we must just wait i mean we can get we can pray for more manna, right and they were going to run out of food eventually they're going to open the doors There are so many strategic things they could have thought about in order to win that war by their own effort. But instead, the man of war showed up. And that's so important. If we're going to walk in the will of God, we need to war from God's perspective. We can't take the war in our own hands. We need to truly appreciate that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Some of us don't progress as far as we should because we take every war on our own shoulders. We think everybody that wrongs us, we need to put them in their place, you know. We need to correct them. But it's not always our place. The war belongs to the Lord. You know, the Lord is the one who is the man of war. And you can see that you would have gone there and said, actually, I see no way for me to get promotion here. Why? Because the doors are closed. The windows are closed. And this guy is just 40 years old. You know, he has 27 more years to go, 25. And it doesn't look like he's going to retire. Then you start thinking, Lord, do I pray for him to die? You know, <laughs> do I pray for him to just fall? No, Lord, let him just die in his sleep. You know, something peaceful. You know, I am a Christian, you know. Nothing serious, not a car accident, huh? cause you are thinking how do i get there i can't actually get there but then the lord gives them a crazy strategy they just say no just just go around go go around go around jericho do it do it for 6 days and on the 7th day do it 7 times and what's going to happen the window is going to remain closed the door is going to remain closed but all the walls are going to fall now your access point has just changed you didn't even know you could go through the wall but the Lord knew. We're going to need to learn to war from God's point of view if we're going to be successful in walking in the will of God. Because sometimes it is the challenges we face with people that we now deem our enemies that you know, we off-ramp. We are walking so well in the will of God. And then we realize the reason I'm not progressing is this guy. You know? And then we start to off-ramp. Our prayers start to change. You know, I feel that the Lord is promising me a promotion at work, but there are obstacles. Hmm? And some people even take it further and say, you know what, this guy is here because of witchcraft. Huh? Look at how dark he is. Yeah? It's a witchcraft for sure. And the only way I'm going to take him out is to play a similar game. So we are saying we're going to use Satan's tactics to win. If we truly believe that promotion doesn't come from the East or nor the West, but it comes from the Lord, then does it it matter who's on any chair? It actually never matters because it's the Lord who decides. Then we can step back and say, you know what, Lord, you are sovereign, but I've been walking in your will. And I know that you will make a way where I see no way. If walls have to fall, walls will fall. You know, if a city has to be built, a city will be built. That's what the Lord will actually do. You know, some of these cities wouldn't have even existed when the Lord promised it to Abraham. Do you know that? Yeah. But this is a part of their inheritance. Someone else had to go and build their inheritance so they can come and take over. Wow. But we don't think like that. We always think somebody must get out in order for us to get in. But it is not the case at all. There's a different way of warring. And you look at Paul. Paul had a smear campaign against his name. They said, this guy is a false apostle. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That's what they said to him. And he said, actually, although we are in the world, we don't war as the world does. Because what? Our weapons are not actually carnal at all, but they are mighty in God. These are different weapons. It's not the same weapon as the enemy actually uses. If we truly believe that every weapon fashioned or formed against us will not prosper, then why are we picking up the same weapon to use against the enemy? The weapon is ineffective against us, so we can just continue. But we are lowering ourselves to somebody else's standard when we war in accordance with the way of the world. There are different ways of actually warring. Have we thought about taking it to prayer? Have we thought of just staying there and not taking it to prayer and saying, Lord, You know, Lord, take that person out. But just saying, Lord, I know you are faithful. I know you are faithful. I've been following you. And I know that you will not forget my righteous acts. I know that you're going to make a way. Instead of looking at somebody else's spouse and thinking, hey, there needs to be a divorce there in order for me to occupy. Because that sister is just too beautiful and the Lord has spoken to me. Just say, Lord, I, I know, you know. I I know, I know that you know I have a need and a desire for a spouse. Now your timing might not be working out as I actually planned. You know, I had thought that by 25 I'd be married. 25 came, it's gone, I thought that by 30 I'll be married. 30 is gone, I thought 35, and it's also gone. But I'm not going to be desperate, I'm still just going to look to you and say, Jehovah, you are faithful, you've prepared good things for me, and I'm going to continue on your path. And these are unfortunate things that we Christians actually do. Yeah. We Christians actually do this. And we had a, a, a very strange experience with a, a friend of mine where his mentor and pastor who was single believed that his fiancé is supposed to be his wife. Oh. <laughs> and that God had spoken clearly. And now the advice started being strategically positioned to create drama in the relationship. But that's not the way that we war in the kingdom. That's not the way that we approach things in the kingdom. We actually do it different. And the other thing about Jericho as well is that Jericho was a place of impossible victory. We need to start trusting God for impossible things. Let's not just trust God for the ordinary. Your promotion is coming. Just be settled about it. But there are some impossible things that the Lord can do in your life if only you will trust him. There is no limitation. If God speaks it and says it, we can keep believing him for it because he will actually make a plan. Okay. And the last place that they actually went through is the Jordan. Now, the Jordan is a very, very interesting place. Very significant as well for us because that's where the Lord was baptized, isn't it? But the Jordan was the last hurdle that Israel crossed through before getting to the promised land. This was the final stretch. After this, it was done. We are in the promised land. And they had to journey through. But do you know what the problem with the Jordan was? Is that the Jordan is a big river, the biggest in Palestine. So big. And it was sort of the river as well that was feeding into um, the the Dead Sea. Uh, It's not feeding as much now and the Dead Sea is sort of dying, which is awkward. Um, Yeah, But the Dead Sea is dying. Uh, But yeah, Uh, so it was a big river. And because it's a big river, what tended to happen or even happens now is that areas near big rivers tend to be very fruitful. They tend to be very green. tend to be very appealing, they tend to be very attractive. So it's easy to get to the Jordan, next to the Jordan before crossing over to assume you've arrived. Because it actually looks like the destination. It is so beautiful, it is so green. When Lot and Abraham were about to separate, the green that Lot saw was next to the valley of Jordan. It was what he actually saw, but he didn't know That God was already planning to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and yet he thought that's the destination. In the same way that the 12 tribes of Israel were supposed to cross over into the Promised Land, Reuben um, and Gad and some of Manasseh, they looked at it and said, yo, this place is good for our livestock, as though God has not thought about what's gonna happen with the livestock in the Promised Land. But they decided, no, this is the place There is no other place that's going to be suitable for our livestock except this place. So they thought they'd arrived. You know, and as a result, it's not all the 12 tribes that crossed over to the promised land. You know, two and a half tribes actually remained because they actually thought, I have arrived. You know, and that's so dangerous. And it was one of the things that troubled Saul. He thought he had arrived. When he was still at the start, he saw himself as small. He was humble. But when he was big he'd been doing it for a while he has experience he says "Ah, samuel you're taking time i can handle this i have arrived now there are some things i start to take on which are not even part of my portfolio why i have arrived i have arrived is the most dangerous mindset we can ever have that is so dangerous and we need to deal with our egos we need to deal with that thing and actually realize everything is about jehovah It's not about us, but it's purely about Jehovah so that we can experience a life that he has set before us because we're going to pause on the other side of the Jordan without realizing that the promise is on the other side. And the other thing about the Jordan as well, which is very distracting about the journey, is that the Jordan looks like another impossible thing to actually cross. And that is why you actually need those Jericho experiences in your life. You know, although in the order it happened the other way, right? They had the, Jericho, the Jordan experience followed by the Jericho experience. But in this order of this journey, you're going to need some Jericho experiences because you're going to go against some impossible things. You're going to start thinking this is never going to happen, you know, in the same way that Abraham and his wife thought it's never going to happen. We're never going to have a child, okay? But you know what God did to ignite that desire in him? God actually made Abraham very rich, because rich people have different worries you know when you just have middle class money you're just ordinary you are thinking about ah you know i need to balance you know my debit orders you know okay this one comes on the first so i need to make sure you know i have so much this one is on the fifth okay so if i move money from there then this debit order but when that's no longer your problem do you know you're starting to think legacy mm-hmm. that's true. and when you don't have children it's problematic yeah. Yeah. that is why when abraham began wealthy he started thinking yo I'm going to need to leave all these things to this guy. Isn't it? He never thought about that before because he wasn't rich. But God made him very fruitful financially. He increased him. And that's the other thing about Jordan and being next to the Jordan. It's fruitfulness. There is fruitfulness that the Lord is going to bring into your life, but you need to interpret it right. Don't always assume every fruitfulness is to increase your comfort level some fruitfulness simply exists to increase how far we can go with the gospel. It's not about you. So it means that as the Lord makes us more fruitful financially, for example, we need to step back and say, wow, Lord, you've brought in an additional million. I I could actually, you know, extend. I could do this. I could do that. But what do you want to do? And do you know if you hear the Lord and you obey, that million is nothing. That million is nothing. (laughs) You know, there's one guy, forget his name now, but he used to run a a, a sand moving company. And he became so wealthy that he became such a massive funder of the gospel. He funded a lot of the gospel crusades of Billy Graham in the early days. But he said what he realized about money is that he's trying to almost like shuffle it into the kingdom as fast as he can. But God is using a bigger spade to shuffle it into his life. So it never actually runs out. But, you know, if he, has, if he had misinterpreted his fruitfulness in that area, he could have just thought, oh, you know what? I've never been in a Bugatti, you know? <laughs> it seems like it's the thing now, you know? The speed limit is still 120, <laughs> you know? But you keep thinking it's more and more of our comfort. So we need to be very careful about how we interpret the purpose of our fruitfulness. And fruitfulness is not even optional in the kingdom. It's part and parcel of the package, You know, when you're about to buy a a German car, or uh, rather a Europe-made car, they advertise it and say, this car, you know, it comes with sunroof, right? It comes with leather seats. uh, You have heated heated seats. Your front seats have massages, you know? It's all this, all that. When you go to actually buy it, everything they said is actually optional extras. (laughs) But the Japanese cars, you know, the Asian cars, on the other hand, when they say it comes with that, when you buy, you get everything, you know? And it's sort of like that when we come into Christ. Fruitfulness is not an optional extra. It's actually part and parcel of what we must actually have. It is so crucial to the extent that Jesus says that any branch in me that does not bear fruit, it's not massage, it's not actually put into a discipleship program, you know, it's actually cut off. Fruitfulness is not conditional. It's absolute necessity in our lives. We need to be fruitful in every good work. It means that we should never be idle as Christians. One, we must be fruitful with the general will of God, isn't it? One is fruitful in actually knowing the Lord. It shouldn't be that anybody has to say to us, uh, you know, are you reading your Bible, that we start thinking, oh, I must read the Bible. It should be part and parcel of our lives that we get into the Word. It shouldn't be that somebody must ask us about our prayer life, that we start wondering, oh, okay, it means we must pray. No, it should be part and parcel. We shouldn't wait for February to come to think, oh, I need to fast. There was no 21-day fasting period and calendar in Daniel's days. He just felt something as he was reading and praying and observing. And what are we feeling when we are reading, observing, and actually just praying? There should actually be things which ignite us to say, actually, these are spiritual steps I need to take immediately, not because the church is running a program. It shouldn't be that we need to always wait to say, oh, my tribe is on duty, so I'll actually tell somebody about Jesus. And then, you know, I no, it should be we must live out an authentic Christian life in pretty much every sphere. And as part of this fruitfulness, I would challenge you to say, live authentically. Don't limit yourself based on the circle that you are in. You might have to contextualize, but don't limit. If you knew in this sort of circumstance, you would have said, you know what? Can I just pray for you about that? Then maybe you position it up differently and say, would you mind if I prayed for you when I get home? What else normally you would have prayed for them right then and there, because they're a Christian. But now, because you're just at work, there's a different way of positioning it. Instead of just hearing somebody living unrighteously and asking you for unrighteous advice and giving them unrighteous advice, you change the direction and start giving them some righteous information. You know, I was actually on Friday, I had a, a meeting with uh, you know, a, a very senior person in one of the, the, the banks. And we were chatting, and normally because these are business meetings, uh, and I have a limited amount, and this person also is limited in their time. They are thinking about their next meeting. In some cases, I have meetings between the meeting. So we walk you know, across, or we drive to the next meeting. But anyway, uh, because of that limitation of time, often when then, normally if they would have asked me, oh, okay, you have a son, what's his name? I said, it's Tanzi. Okay, what does it mean? Oh, it just means witness. And I, try, I want to move away from that and get into the business of the day. But this time, I decided actually I need to live out an authentic Christian life in absolutely everything. And I said, what, is it? what does your son's name mean? I said, it actually means witness, but to us, it means that God is faithful. You know, God actually hears and answers prayer and his timing is never wrong. He just paused. You, like, what? <laughs> and after like maybe 30 seconds, and he said, "You know what? that's all right. You know I'm 57 now, and when I think about it, I've been making money since I was like 10 or 17, and when I look at it, there's always been this God moments, but I've never actually appreciated God. I didn't say anything further than just explaining the name of my child. So when you name your child, eh, be careful. It's a gospel <laughs> opportunity. OK? Huh? Don't just do, you know, ananias and you don't know, how can I connect ananias? Right? <laughs> uh? Don't just, you know, you, bu- you must be prayerful. Uh, the, the, your child can be such a gospel opportunity all the time. Okay? Yeah. So, live authenticity, authentically. Don't over-contextualize that you compromise. Okay? but actually be contextual in everything. So if I was to summarize these four places and what they're about, Gilgal is the place of your freedom. You go there and you acquire your freedom, but you don't abuse that freedom once you have it. And that's why you need Bethel. And Bethel is the place of your feeling. You need to be filled with the presence of God. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in order to walk out the will of God, isn't it? And then you go to Jericho. Jericho is the place of victory. You're gonna to need to have victory. You can't accommodate anything to keep tripping you up over and over and over and over again. That half of your prayer life just looks like you repenting all the time. There are things that God wants to do in your life besides helping you manage sin. He's not a sin manager, huh? Eh? You know, there are asset managers and then we think God is a sin manager, no. He wants to propel you into purpose. But if you don't start experiencing victory, you're stuck in a cycle. Over and over and over again, the same thing. And lastly, the Jordan, it's about fruitfulness. We need to be so fruitful in everything that we actually do. There is no optional fruitfulness in Christianity. We must be fruitful. First and foremost with the general will of God, which is about us knowing God and making God known. That means when we look at our lives and there are certain successes that we don't actually have, we can reflect and say, but oh, I conform more to the image of Jesus. I didn't get promoted, but I look more like Jesus. I won. It served its purpose. I suffered that year. People I loved passed away, but I won. I look more like Jesus. I love him a lot more. He was there for me. He comforted me. Why? Because you're starting to think different. Now, let me just read verse 9 again in closing. And it says, and so it was when Elijah crossed over, when they crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I may do for you before I am taken away. Do you see that? Just going through that process of, I'm going to have freedom. I'm going to be filled with the presence of God. I'm going to live a victorious life and I'm going to be fruitful. He's presented with the same black check that Solomon got what do you want? Wouldn't that be nice? The Lord just comes to you and says, what do you want? But you know, when you've had all those stages in your life, you're not going to say, Lord, um, I, need a new, I need a car. Why? Because the car is so small in the context of what God wants to do. You're going to think kingdom things. Why? Because the Lord tells us, the Lord knows you need all these things but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. It's not that seek the kingdom of God so that they may be added. No, 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 no. It's make the kingdom of God your sole and primary focus in absolutely everything and the Lord will add as you need. He might realize that actually you need, you know, to drive a, 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 a Cayenne in order to fulfill this purpose and the Lord will provide it. He might say you need to stay in Blue Valley to achieve this and the Lord will provide it. But don't make that your ambition. It is so small. Don't make that the ambition. Let the ambition be the kingdom of God. And look at what he does after now he sees Elijah going away. He didn't panic that the mentor didn't actually, Elijah didn't say, oh, here's the mentor before I go. He was comfortable. He knew that the Lord is faithful because I've met the condition. He said, I must look and I saw him. And therefore, the Lord will actually do it. That the mantle itself actually fell down. And he said, I'm not going to do it with the same clothes, with the same lifestyle. So he tore some stuff out of his life and put on the mantle of Elijah. And sometimes we want to continue in these things. We want to continue in the will of God with the same nature, with the same clothes, with the same old man. But we need to put off the old man and all his deeds and put on the new mantle. The mantle that allows us to part the Jordan. The mantle that allows us. He goes to Jericho and he finds that the water is bitter. A mantle that releases so much wisdom. He knew, oh, this is an easy issue. We just need to add salt. And imagine if he had stayed at Jericho. He didn't know that the water is bad. He just knew that it looked great. He would have been in such trouble. Okay. So we need to trust and believe the Lord. And one last story in closing. And we're going to stand up and pray. Sometimes when we hear messages about these mega things, like the will of God, like purpose, okay, often at the back of our minds we assume we have forever to do them that's what we assume we actually assume that i have the next 10 years to work out the will of god and therefore we factor in that, okay, I will accommodate shame for two years. When I'm done with shame, you know, I I'll I will flirt with wisdom a bit. And then year four, I will enter freedom. When I'm done with that, then I'll start reflecting on the struggles that I've had. And then year five and six I uh, will be about my victory. And then uh, yeah, fruitfulness will come in year 10. You know, that's how we often think about it. But recently, I have been to funerals of people averaging in age 24 years old. And that's because we don't have as much time as we think we actually have. The time to live for God is today. It's not actually tomorrow. Today, if you hear the Holy Spirit talking to you, walk it out today. Don't delay. And this last funeral that I went to, I was emceeing there. It was so sad. In terms of what we are chasing, this young guy at such a young age had already attained it. If we're chasing, you know, good grades, This guy had nine A's when he finished high school. This guy went to UCT and graduated summa cum laude. This guy, if it's about the best investment bank, he worked straight for Goldman Sachs, the best investment bank in the whole world. If it's about living in multiple countries and traveling, this guy was in London, in Shanghai, all over the world at a young age. If it's about money, this guy was getting paid more than some of us who are now in our 30s. And yet he was such a young guy. In terms of a loving family, this guy had a big family, so much love. All the things we are chasing that we think these are the symbols of success, this is going to be the thing that tells us we've arrived. This guy had it all. And yet he committed suicide. And that's because life is not about the acquisition of things life is about knowing God and making him known. There's actually nothing more to life except that. Everything else are just the channels through which you do it. Whether that thing is business, whether that thing is a career, whether that thing is family, it's just channels to make this a reality. Therefore, when you make certain decisions, you start thinking, is this going to help me know God more? Is this going to help me make God known? And if the answer is no, what's your business in it? Because your ambition is actually different. Let's just stand up and pray in closing. I don't know what this message has meant to you. I don't know what it has spoken to you, which areas of your life it's touched on, whether you need a Gilgal experience, whether you are struggling in Jericho, whether you need a Bethel experience or whether it's fruitfulness that's the challenge for you. I don't know. But all I know is that this is the message that God has laid in my heart to give to you. And I believe that that's because he wanted to say something specific to you. So I just want us to pray and reflect on this message and what it means to you and make some commitments. You know, Don't, don't, don't think 10 years ahead. Say, what am I gonna start doing today in order to work out the will of God? What am I gonna start doing this very day Because the Bible tells us that today, if you hear the Holy Spirit, don't harden your hearts as they did. And because they did that, they were not able to enter the promised land. They were not able to enter the rest of God. Do we not want to enter the promised land? And I cannot tell you something so special, that after Elijah had gone through this particular journey of I've gone through the stages and I kept following because I knew I'm going for the will of God. Do you know what was one of the keys to actually unlock this? It was that Elijah, Elisha, Elisha's will for his own life became identical with the will of God for his life. It wasn't that a God wants him to take over from Elijah and is thinking, I had a farming business, you know, I had this, I had that, but it became identical. And saints, that's what we need to get to. The will of God and our will, identical. It can be two different tracks of life because God is not changing we must be the ones that change so let's just pray in reflecting with that message and pray specifically for what the lord spoke to you about yeah father thank you in the name of jesus for the privileged opportunity to hear your message this morning oh god I pray, Father, that you would use this message to transform us, to change us, that you, O Lord, are the remover of shame, that for us, for whom shame is an issue, for whom guilt is an issue, that, Lord, you would remove that shame, you would remove that guilt, O God, and that we would walk in freedom. It is for freedom that you have set us free not to go back to bondage again, but to walk it out in the name of Jesus, Lord. And we pray for some of us that are saying, we, we have this freedom, we have this freedom, but we need your presence, oh God. So we pray and say, Holy Spirit, just fill us, fill us in the mighty name of Jesus. And we know, oh God, that if our fathers here on earth who are evil are able to give us good gifts, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to us who ask, oh God. So we say, we ask for your Holy Spirit, we ask for your Holy Spirit, we ask for a feeling, we ask for an outpour, oh God, and say we want to be filled, want to be led, oh God. We want to be led. You tell us that as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We don't want, oh God, to self-lead, oh God. We don't want to to always be trying to figure it out, oh God. But we want to be led by you. We want to walk out a victorious life, oh God. So we pray O oh Father and say every cycle, oh God, every cycle, every pattern, oh God, of wrong living, oh God, may it be broken in our lives, oh God. May you bring supernatural victory in the name Name of Jesus, that we may walk out, oh Father, in, in this new victory, oh God, and not be caught up in chains, oh God, not be caught up in prisoners again, oh God. In the mighty name of Jesus, my Father, oh Lord, we pray, oh God, and say we want to be fruitful in every good work, oh God. You tell us, oh Father, that your word it equips the men of God for every good work, oh God. So we pray in the name of Jesus and say we want to be equipped. So we pray, Father, for that and we trust you, we believe you, oh God. We say we don't want to go back. And still try to walk out our own wills oh god and still try to walk out our own desires oh god but wanna be a people that say our sole mandate in life is to know you and to make you known no oh god and everything else is just a channel. everything else is just an outlet oh god we pray for that in the mighty name of jesus we trust you father we believe you oh god we say lord have your way in our lives oh god we surrender and we abandon oh god ourselves into your hands and we say lord do a mighty work. Do a mighty work, O oh God. It is not optional for us to remain the same. It is not optional for us, O oh God, to still be caught and trapped in shame. It is not an option for us, O oh God, to still be stuck where we don't have victory. It is not an option for us to be barren, O oh God. It is not an option. But the only option is for us to live out a victorious Christian life. The only option is for us to be filled with your Holy Spirit. So we say, do this work, O God. Do this work, O God. In the name of Jesus. We want to be a people that indeed seek first and seek only your kingdom. And we leave the adding to you. That's not our business. Our business is your kingdom. And your business is us. Oh. What good news that is, that we are your business, oh God. But we want to be a people who are about our Father's business. How small is our business that we would choose to focus on it over eternal matters. But we choose you, Father, to walk with you and to live with you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah. No.